Hey, everybody, it's Tom Dreesen, and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Hey, everybody, Chad is off this week, but in his place, we got a great guest host, longtime radio host here in Miami, but a Chicago native and longtime Chicago Cub fan. It is Josh Frito Friedman joining us here on the program. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for joining us here this week. It is great to talk to you, and it's great for you to be able to talk about your favorite baseball team. And that's oh, it's just good. I'm so looking forward to uh, to the show, and thank you for uh, thinking of me to fill in. I really appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, look, spring training is is you know we're going into the, what the final week or so or ten days of spring training as the roster is taking shape, and we're today in the you know in the nine innings we're going to talk about. The rotation and the bench and you know do the cubs have a possible mvp candidate and what do they do if they get into the ninth inning and they have a lead can we count on the bullpen specifically craig kimbrell to hold that lead and if he falters who's next up on deck those are just some of the topics we're going to cover it's so much to talk about of course and we have part one of our interview with celebrity cubs fan comedian Tom Dreesen. If you're a Cub fan, you know who Tom Dreesen is. He has opened up for Frank Sinatra, or used to open up for Frank Sinatra for years. And of course, longtime guest on David Letterman. We're going to chat with him. He's got some amazing stories. So stick around because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Hi, everybody. I'm Ryan Lieber. He's Josh Friedman. And let's start as we always do in the first inning, Josh. And the roster is starting to take shape as we are getting closer to opening day. So I'll let you start. How do you think this 2021 roster of the Chicago Cubs is shaping up when you look at it from top to bottom? You know, I'm a bit nervous right now. I'll be honest with you. The offense the last few years <clears throat> has struggled mightily. And I don't know. I don't see any reason why that should change i mean what's going to make the reversal what's going to make them suddenly learn how to hit the ball um you know i look at I look at the playoffs when you know when they played the marlins they had one run in 18 innings and the pitching and we're going to get into the starters later uh it's all from one side of the plate and these guys i could walk to home plate faster than these guys can throw so i'm i'm a little bit nervous and i'm nervous with kimbrell in the bullpen and again another thing we're going to get into but i'm uh i'm not incredibly optimistic about the Cubs, uh, the 2021 Cubs. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, listen, when you look at their lineup, obviously, if they're all, you know, playing well, this is one of the best lineups in baseball. I think we can agree on that. The problem is, is we haven't seen this team clicking on all cylinders for quite some time now, but they're all in contract years now, Josh. Some of these guys are on one-year deals and they're looking to prove themselves again. And I think that that could potentially work to their advantage. Um, as you said, the, the, the bullpen and the rotation could potentially be problematic. We've definitely talked about it on the show before about how certainly the rotation um, without a Hugh Darvish, without a John Lester, um, you know, certainly could make a big difference and, and not for the better. So, yeah, I, I certainly think that there is potential here to see this team uh, look really good um, if this offense is clicking throughout the year. But as we have seen, um, and there hasn't really been any proof of anything otherwise, um, this team 
can go to sleep at times, especially <laughs> when they're at the plate. And if we see that throughout the year, it's going to be a long road for the entire season. I'll tell you that much. I think maybe one reason for optimism is the NL Central isn't all that strong uh, to begin with. So maybe the the best among okay teams. Uh, how about the bench right now? You know, look, uh, who you know, the, it could be a revamp bench compared to what we've seen in past seasons. What do you think about the guys coming off the pine? Yeah, as we start the second inning here, and you know, it's interesting, Josh, because this is going to be a team that. Well, you don't really see too many guys on this bench that ultimately are going to really make a big impact. I guess David Bodie is the one player that I would look at and say, okay, he's got the experience. But just kind of looking at some of the other guys, you know, they got Austin Romine now, who's going to be the backup catcher, might not even start the season because he's, you know, hurt. Um, but he's going to be replacing Victor Caratini. Uh, you know, they signed uh, Jake Marcinick in the offseason. Not sure he's good defensively not sure how much pop he's going to give you but then you don't really have any impact guys that you know are really going to spell relief so the bench to me is is quite thin and then if you're carrying 12 13 pitchers it's not really giving you uh you know any sort of room for error when it comes to having guys who might get hurt in the lineup or somebody that you can rely on um to pinch hit or or play you know, every now and then to give some of your other guys some relief. So I'm not a huge fan of this bench, at least right now, the way it's shaping up. What about you? It's so, so uh, as far as, as, as Marizic, I remember him from his time here with the Marlins. Um, you know, he'd be, I think he's going to be a good defensive replacement for Ian Happ in center field. And then what Happ will do likely more than likely is slide over to left. If the Cubs have an inning, uh, you know, um, a lead in the, in the late innings, I think that's, what's going to happen. Bodie, could find himself maybe even starting if, if uh, you know, if Nico Horner struggles at all. Uh, and, you know, Horner doesn't have a ton of experience. He's got some, not as much as Bodie. Uh, but the only thing is AAA is going to be delayed in starting. So if you if they decide that Bodie is going to be starting ahead of Horner, what are you going to do with Horner? You know, you, you, do you really want a guy who's probably the future at, at second base to, uh, you know, sit there and, and just waste away and, and not being able to get at-bats in the minors uh, the other guys, Sogard and, and Romine, I don't know. It's nothing that, that uh, you know, to borrow, uh, you know, a phrase from the broadcast around here, Jim Manage, nothing that tingles my toes. It's just, it, it's okay. It's, it, it's nothing that's, that's really all that great. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent right about that. And, and listen, <clears throat> when push comes to shove, I think you're going to need a strong bench uh, down the stretch. If, if you really think you're going to, you know, have a team that's ultimately going <clears throat> to contend for the division title. So uh, I, I certainly think that can be uh, addressed, hopefully, uh, you know, throughout the year and they're able to, you know, put something together, maybe a little better supporting cast, um, you know, to, to look at it that way. All right. So, Josh, let's move on now to the third inning and the pitching rotation. Obviously, we've talked about it at length, talking about how, you know, certainly we're trying to figure out who we're plugging in where. Now, if we were to handicap it and at least in my view, um, you're looking at a rotation of Hendricks, Arietta, Zach Davies, Alec Mills, and Trevor Williams. Um, are you okay with that? And when you look at those five guys, they're all right-handed pitchers. So I guess the first question is, Josh, is how problematic is it when you see a team that isn't throwing any lefties at you at any point in the starting rotation. I mean, you, you've seen plenty of baseball teams. How does this pitching staff stack up 
when when you look at them one through five from a, a right-handed standpoint? Well, it's a red flag. You know, one of the things you want to see when you go into, say, a three-game series with a team is you want to throw different looks at them. And the Cubs are not going to be able to do that. What are they going to do? They're, they're going to throw five likely righties, uh, or at least four, certainly probably five, uh, at another team and not very fast. You know, the velocity is way down. It would be nice to have not only a, a lefty, but a fast-throwing lefty or a fast-throwing righty. You know, if you, if the Cubs can throw in the opening of a series, a guy that you know only averages, say, 90 miles an hour, and the next guy is a southpaw, and, you know, he, he brings it in 98, he could turn the afterburners on in his fastball. Well, that's it's, it's, it's hard for the other team to necessarily adjust from one day to the other. It's going to take maybe a couple of times in the batting order to get used to that. They don't have that. They're going to throw – the same look, it seems, night after night after night. And I think that's going to catch up with them. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think they are hoping that Jake Arrieta finds <laughs> his velo to be maybe a little higher than it once was, or or I should say what it has been in the past, and maybe hoping that it, it gets back to where it once was. Um, because really, if you think about it, Arietta is the only guy who, I you know, when you would think is the one that could, potentially push the the envelope when it comes to throwing, you know, maybe 95, 96. I don't know if he's able to do that on a consistent basis anymore. So, yeah, it, it is going to be interesting because, as you said, Zach Davies, Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills, none of those guys are people that are going to blow stuff by you. These are guys that, you know, switch up their pitches, throw a lot of breaking balls. Um, they're very crafty. They're very, you know, solid pitchers, but they're not going to – um, confuse anybody with Nolan Ryan. Let's uh, let's say the least with that. Right? Let me give you a little bit of optimism here, just a little bit. I used to when I used to cover baseball on a daily basis, I would talk to scouts, I would talk to pitching coaches, etc. And I went around once with a, just a, a little survey, just a, you know, a verbal one, and I said, I'm going to give you three factors as far as pitching: uh, velocity, the ability to change speeds, and command. Rank them in order, and it, you know uh, the, the ability to change speeds and command. Or one, two, or two, one. Velocity was the last on everybody's list. This is a few years ago. Maybe things have changed, but it was consistently the last on everybody's list. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, that's very good stuff. That's a nice, nice point by you for sure. All right, let's go to the. Uh, let's go right now to the uh, fourth inning. Behind the dish now is Wilson Contreras. You know, he's you know that's a guy that uh, you know opposing runners have to fear. Incredible defensive player. At, at times, he's been great offensively at his best year in 2019, struggled uh, a bit last year, but last year was such a weird year for everybody. Do you think that this guy is a possible candidate for an MVP award? Well, he's in the cover off the ball in spring training right now, and, and I think out of all the players on this team, I think he's the guy who's starting to hit his stride, right? I mean, he's at that age where he's really starting to kind of come into his own, and, you know, we haven't seen an MVP at the catcher position in quite some time. I, I want to say, just guessing here, Buster Posey yeah. was maybe the last player who was a catcher to win the MVP in the National League. Uh, maybe check my math with that, but I, I feel like I'm right with that. Um, you know, I think top to bottom right now, Josh, Contreras is their best player. I, I really do believe that. Rizzo has certainly been the most consistent, but and while you may look at Javi as being their best overall player, you know, we haven't really seen Javi play well uh, especially last year so right now going into the season Wilson's really the guy that I think really has um, everything from a defensive and an offensive standpoint now hopefully the Cubs hold on to him that's I think the other question is hopefully they don't trade him but 
you know, I, I certainly feel like there's, you know, a lot of good candidates that, uh, you know, Mookie Betts or Bryce Harper or whoever it may be that, you know, Nolan Arenado that might be in the running for the MVP award. Um, you know, Christian Yelich is always in the conversation. <laughs> but uh, Wilson Contreras, I certainly feel like could be putting up what could potentially be his best season so far as a pro. What about well, you? I don't kind of, I don't think of him as an MVP candidate. He, look, he's terrific behind the ditch. He, and he was framing the ball better last year than he has in the past. He's, you know, his arm, he's got a cannon for an arm and you love to see him not only throw runners at second base, but he picks off guys at first base as well. He's just, he's a dangerous guy uh, to have behind the dish. Offensively, he, he took a step backwards last year. And again, last year with, with COVID and everything was such an unusual season. Maybe we have to give a mulligan to everybody. Uh, and a couple of years ago, he hit very, very well. If he hits well, I still think generally when it comes to MVP voting, I don't think the voters reward defense as much as perhaps, uh, you know, fans or, or people like you and I might reward it or hoping it's rewarded. It does sometimes get rewarded, but maybe not as much as, as we think. I still think offense, you know, chicks dig the long ball. I think so do MVP voters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, while, uh, you know, certainly this could be a uh, breakout year, if you will, for him. Um, not sure if necessarily it's uh, going to be MVP caliber, to say the least. So let us move on now to the fifth inning, Josh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, Craig Kimbrell, who's always <laughs> a good fodder to talk about uh, how awful his contract is. And I guess the one thing you can say is, thankfully, this is the last year of his $13 million a year deal that the Cubs signed him to. Um, but he is slated. Uh, and I put that in quotes to be the closer going into the year. Uh, but Josh, I guess uh, how much stock do you put in Kimbrel to be the closer? And if he is not able to sustain the job, who would you then hand the reins off to in the bullpen to try and stop the bleeding in the ninth inning uh, when the Cubs are trying to close? Out you game? know, if he was healthy, I might say Rowan Wick, but I think because of an oblique injury that date backs to last season, uh, I don't think he's going to probably start. I think it's a long, it's a stretch to have him start uh, the season on the opening day roster. I think he's going to be on the, uh, on the IL for a while. Um, I would think maybe Brandon Workman, a former closer for the Red Sox who who lost his curveball last year. If Tommy Hadaby can, can you know help him regain that and help him regain the confidence? He could be a guy, maybe Jason Adam or or down the road maybe a Dan Winkler. But I would think Workman and then probably Adam might be the guys that would you know do the heavy lifting if Kimbrel falters. We hope that doesn't happen. He had a good September last year uh, and and started out really slowly this spring. I'm not going to put too much emphasis on spring right now for a veteran for a rookie. I would, but if he can pitch like he pitched last September, that is Kimbrel. Then uh, I think he's gonna be able to hold on to the uh, hold on to the job. Other than that, I would say Workman and Adam. It is so perplexing because I think everybody, <clears throat> you know, me included, you look at Kimbrel and he man is throwing ninety six on the gun. I, I mean, it's not a lack of losing speed or losing you know any rotation on the ball. I mean, he is firing the ball into the mitt. So it, it's a little just hard to understand what his issue is um, to your point. I hope he is able to kind of figure it out because when Craig, Craig Kimbrell is on, I, I think there's no debate. He's one of the best closers in baseball. I mean, he has proven that um, time and time again, if he is not able to kind of figure things out. Um, yes. You make a good point, you know, with, with Wick, obviously he's still nursing an injury. Um, you mentioned workman. I, I think that David Ross though 
is going to kind of do what he did last year um, in the short season that we had and kind of do a bullpen by committee. <laughs> Whoever he's got with a hot hand that, you know, might just be able who might have the rest on his side to say, okay, he hasn't pitched in a couple of days. Let's use him on this day. Let's use this guy, you know, match up depending on the righty lefty situation. So I don't know if there is a necessary um, obvious answer to this. I think David Ross is really hoping that Craig Kimbrell can figure things out and, and really get straightened out. So um, because I mean, Josh, I think we can both agree if Craig Kimbrell struggles this year, <laughs> it's not going to bode well for the Cubs this season for them to have any success. You know, the old expression is if you have a closer by committee, you don't have a closer. <laughs> like the old quarterback, right. right? Exactly right. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. history is going to be made. Uh, I think it's tomorrow night with Beth Mowens, who I've heard do play-by-play calling football, and she's very, very good. And she's going to be calling a Cubs game. The first time that's ever happened is a female calling a Chicago Cubs game, and she's going to be doing it, I believe, sprinkling here and there throughout the season. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you think she'll be accepted by Cubs fans? Yeah, as we chat this up in the sixth inning, you know, it's interesting. I mean, certainly some new looks when it comes to uh, the announcing teams for the Cubs on the Marquee Sports Network, especially now with Boog Shambi, who's uh, an old friend of yours that is now going to be uh, the primary play-by-play announcer. But Boog is still going to be doing games on ESPN. So the Cubs now have an opportunity to bring in other announcers, whether that's Chris Myers or um, I believe Pat Hughes is going to potentially do some games. He's going to do, I think, both radio and TV for some games when Boog is not available. And they bring in Beth Mowens, who is obviously a veteran of play-by-play announcing, has been doing college football for a long time um, on ESPN as well as college basketball. So, listen, it's great to see in 2021 where we are seeing a movement of more women. You know, listen, Josh, you're a longtime veteran in the radio business and in sportscasting. You, I'm sure, know uh, from the history that you have seen of a predominantly um, men uh, dominated industry when it comes to play-by-play announcers or just broadcasters in general. And I think we are now seeing, and while Beth Mowens has been around a long time, we are really seeing a push of more women um, that are getting opportunities, that are having a chance to be in the booth, that are calling games. Um, Melanie Newman, who is the uh, new voice of the Baltimore Orioles, she does sideline reporting as well, but she's done some games on the radio. Um, She's also somebody that has come in and is really grasping this uh, opportunity uh, wholeheartedly to, you know, have that chance. So it's great to see. And I I like the fact that the Cubs are putting themselves out there to um, give Beth Moens a a great chance to shine in a role that I know that she's absolutely qualified to do and and do a great job of. So uh, I'm happy to see. No, I am very happy to see us. And she's good. Like I said, I've heard her do play by play before, not baseball. But, you know, if, if, if versatile announcers can do really any sport, I have no doubt that she'll do a fine job doing baseball. And, and I hope fans give her a chance. I hope no one turns off and says, oh, I'm not going to listen to a woman and just completely discounts it. You know, when Jessica Mendoza took over a few years ago, I wasn't that familiar with her work. She took over for Kirk Schilling when he had, uh, you know, some of his uh, Twitter problems and all that. And she took over full time in the Sunday night booth. And I thought she was great. You know, yes, she was a college softball player, but she really – knows her stuff. And when I would watch Sunday night baseball, when she was on it, I would learn something every time I watched her do a game. She just just had tons of knowledge. And, you know, while 
you know, Beth Mullins, I saw an interview with her and she said she couldn't necessarily do, uh, you know, color work because she doesn't have, doesn't have that experience. She can certainly do uh, the play by play. And I have no doubt she'll do good. I really hope this opens the door for more women doing uh, doing this. And I think it's a it's a great move by the Cubs real quick, by the way, about Boog Shambi. I met him 25 years ago down here in Miami. He was just starting out. He was doing short season a ball in Boise. And uh, and so that's how he how far he's come in his broadcasting career. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the friendly confines. And Chad, it's always exciting when we get celebrity Cub fans to come on our program. We had the honor of speaking with guys like George Will and Michael Wilbon. Well, when you think of celebrity fans for the Chicago Cubs, this is someone who easily comes to mind. Longtime comedian. He has a new book out that we're going to discuss as well. He has some great stories about his time as a Cub fan. He's from Harvey, Illinois. You know him from his time on The Tonight Show, on Late Night with David Letterman. And, of course, he is one half of the comedy team with Tim Reed. It is our honor and pleasure to introduce Tom Driesen, to the friendly confines. Mr. Driesen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you today? I'm doing great, Chad and Ryan, but, um, you know, it's, it's getting near, I'm getting a little antsy here. It's getting near spring training here. And, and uh, of course, once again, we're going to be, you know, thinking that the Cubs will be in the World Series. And once again, I think we're going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to get into all that with you, Tom. Like, first, we want to also say you have this new book that's out. It's called Still standing my journey from streets and saloons to the stage and sinatra has over 100 five-star reviews on amazon of course you can locate it on amazon.com your website tomdreason.com and you're also on twitter at tomdreason comic and of course people always uh, talk to you as well about your time as the opening act for frank sinatra for 14 years we're going to get into that with you as well but let's start with your cubs um and and our favorite team as well and what uh, brought you here today as far as being on our program um you're a south sider you're from harvey illinois so i'm curious being from the south side tom how did one like you become a cubs fan knowing that it's a predominantly White Sox area when you grow up on the South side. Oh yeah. Where I, where I grew up, it was really all White Sox area mostly. But what happened was I was a little boy, five years old, six years old. And my dad would listen to the cup games on the radio, you know? And, uh, and so I was listening to the cup games with my dad and, and, and uh, I, I, so I, I didn't know that I was in enemy territory. You know, by the time I was eight years old, you know, I was a staunch cup fan then, but by the time, by that time, I also could take a punch because everybody in my neighborhood was White Sox fans. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got indoctrinated earlier, you know, and, 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 and been a Cub fan ever since. And you were also a bad boy for the Cubs when you were growing up as a kid as well. How did that experience uh, happen for you? How did that all come about? And what was that? No, like? that's not true. I wasn't a bad boy for the Cubs when I was growing up. I was a bad boy for the Cubs when I was 40 years old and already in the show business. <laughs> what happened was when I was a little boy, we had eight kids lived in a shack. We had no bathtub, no shower, no hot water. It was a, a rat infested, roach infested shack. There were, I mean, you know, um, if you had holes in your shoes, you put cardboard in it. If you had a window broke, you stuck a rag in it. Again, we had no bathtub, no shower, no hot water. 
So we were poor kids. So my brother and I, we were out shining shoes in taverns and all the bars in the area. And Harvey was loaded with bars in those days, yeah. steel mills and factories that made everything from clutch plates to crankshafts and taverns, 36 taverns and all. So my brother and I were at our shoe shine box, and we'd, we'd shine shoes and, and um, help to bring money home, help feed my brothers and sisters. My mom would put a, uh, take a nickel out every now and then and put it in a little cracked cup up in the cupboard. And when it got filled, <clears throat> she'd let my brother and I, we'd take the IC from Harvey downtown, take the elevator over to Wrigley Field. We'd go sit in the bleachers and watch the Cubs. You know, and, and I, would fan it. I would say to my brother, I'd say, wow, look at the bat boy. That'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? I wonder how we could get a chance to be a bat boy. And he used to say, ah, they don't let poor kids like us bat boys. These are rich kids from the north side. You know, they get that job, you know. So now years go by. I'm still an avid Cub fan. Jim Fry, when he was managing the Cubs in the 80s, I'm having brunch with him one day in Chicago. And he started asking me about my how did you become a Cub fan like you guys just did on the south side of Chicago. And I proceeded to tell him this story. And then I would sit in the bleachers and wish that I could be a bat boy. He said, well, maybe we'll make your dream come true. And he started letting me be a celebrity bat boy for like three, four days every year. You know, either I, I did it at Dodger Stadium when the Cubs came out here in L.A., and I did it at Wrigley Field. You know, and and, uh, and he, they'd let me get there early in the morning. I could hit batting practice. I could run out in the outfield and catch fly balls. Because uh, I was playing at that time in a fast-pitch softball league out in L.A. Uh, called the Show Business League. So I'm, I'm, I've been an athlete all my life, but not of that caliber, you know. So, anyhow, it was, I was like a pig in slop, you know, they were letting me be a bat boy. And then I'd go on Letterman show, and Letterman would, would he'd, he'd say, I can't believe you're a grown man. You don't, you don't really run out and pick up the bats and take them back to the dugout. Tell me you don't do that. I said, yeah, that's what a bat boy does, you know. And, and the, in my book, as a matter of fact, chapter 41 in my book is all about the Cubs and all about that time, you know, and, and all the tricks the players used to pull on me. Rick Sutcliffe was, is, was a, the court jester, you know, and he, uh, he trick bagged me so many times to do dumb things. And, you know, one of the things he, he one time he filled up a styrofoam cup with Kool-Aid, red Kool-Aid in it. And, and I had a uniform on and everything. And it was just before the game was starting. He told the WGN camera, focus on Dries and I'm going to pull a stunt on him. So he stuck a pencil hole in the styrofoam cup, filled it up with Kool-Aid, but kept his finger by that, hole and he, he's standing there talking to me and he said oh wait a minute I, Tommy hold this for me I got and I held the Kool-Aid cup and all the Kool-Aid streamed out all over my uniform no, you know? no. <laughs> and, no, no. and that would be on the evening news you know that'd be on the evening news <laughs> he did so he told me one time you know now first of all when Sut pitched on that day you didn't talk to him no one talked to him he had a routine that he went through that he sat by himself he dressed by himself. He just privately, you know, everything he did was just methodic on the day that he pitched. But on the days that he wasn't pitching, <clears throat> you know, he was always ragging me, doing, you know, doing funny things. But one time he told me I was running out to get the bat. The last uh, Mark Race made the last out and I'm running out there. And he said, when you go out there, tell Frank Pulley, the umpire, that Rick Sutcliffe thinks that he's the best umpire in the National League. And I said, okay, he said, it'll help me, Tommy, like when I'm pitching. So like a dummy, I run out there, and he's dusting off the, the plate. And I said, <clears throat> and Mr. Pulley, Rick Sutcliffe said, he said, I don't give a damn what Rick Sutcliffe said, and I don't care what you have to say. You're a bat boy. Pick up the bats and get the hell back in the dugout. <laughs> I looked at him. I was stunned. Now I realize Rick set this up with him. You know. 
So now when I go in the dugout, <clears throat> Rick's grinning from here. He said, what did he say? Did you tell him? I said, I told him that you thought he was the best umpire in the National League. He said, what did he say? I said, he told me to tell you he thinks you're the best pitcher in both leagues. He said, he didn't say that. I said, yeah, that's what he told me. You know, of course. <laughs> of course. I, uh, he, he did stuff like that all the time. He one time put tar down. He said, Tommy, come here. And I didn't realize I sat next to him. <clears throat> he said, where are you appearing at next? I want to bring my wife, Robin. I want to catch you. So now I'm sitting in black tar, not realizing it. Then he said, Al Nipper was pitching. He said, oh, hold, hold on. He said, Nipper needs it. I want you to bring a towel out there. I run out. He told the cameras, focus on Dries. I'm running out to the mound with all this black tar on my rear end. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. People are laughing. It's on the evening news, of course, you know. It was Amazing. It, it was, I love it. Great to- guys in those days, Ryan Sandberg and, and Mark Grayson and, and Rick Sutcliffe and uh, Jody Davis and I mean, all the guys, you know, uh, Zonk, you know, they, they were just great guys. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that that era. That's kind of the area, the era that that uh, made me a Cubs fan. You know, that we were we we're you know kids of kids of the '80s. Ryan and I, his team was '89, my team was '84, and you know, Rick's actually a neighbor of mine here in North County. He's in Cardiff, and uh, we've been trying to get him on the the show. We've had some near misses with him, but you know, I always like to pose this question um, to real fans, and, and you absolutely are a real fan. You mentioned you know the the shoe shine and, and collecting all the money and, and being able to go to the game, but when you think Think back before you were a celebrity, before you had the access that you had. What do you remember of, of you know, the romance of Wrigley Field and and what it meant to you? And you know, the, you know, whether it was the first time you walked in into that stadium or or uh, just what you felt or what you still feel. What is it? What does Wrigley mean to you? I can remember that <clears throat> the very first time I ever went there, and 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 I I wrote a forward to several Cub books, but basically what I tell everybody <clears throat> that. W- when you live in the world that we live in this fast paced world, there are so many times in your life. And especially when you get older, you wish that time could just stand still. Everything's going too fast. And and you just wish only if time could stand still. And then one day you're driving through a neighborhood in Chicago and you come to a stoplight and you look to your right and there's a ballpark and you you park your car and you go inside that ballpark and you're going to walk inside that ballpark and you're going to sit in the seat that your great-great-grandfather sat in, that your great-grandfather sat in, that your grandfather sat in, that your father sat in, that you are going to sit in, and your son and your son's son. And you're going to watch a game that they all watched. And for a moment, time stands still at Wrigley Field. When you're going to Wrigley Field, time stands still. You're going back into time and watch that this wonderful game that all of your ancestors watched in that same park and in that same seat. You know, that's, that's what it means to me. I, even now, the first thing when people say to me after this lockdown, this COVID lockdown, you know, are you looking forward to getting back on stage? Are you looking forward to, you know, traveling to see family? I always say, I'm looking forward to go to Wrigley Field. That's what I'm looking forward to and watch a ball game. I love yeah. that. And, and Tom, I wanted to follow that up with one more Wrigley question. And, and we're going to ask you a lot of how did it feel to sort of questions. You are, I believe, you're noted as, as you have, have done the seventh inning stretch more than anybody else where maybe you're, you're, you're tied. But uh, what does that feel? Is it, is, does that ever get old, getting up there? Is it, is it old hat to you? I imagine that the nerves are not where they were. But what does that feel like on a packed house and a, on a su- sunny summer afternoon at Wrigley Field to lead, the, lead the, the charge in the seventh inning. Well, you're right. I'm tied with Joe Montaigne. Joe and I are tied. We've done it the same, I think, 17 years in a row. Wow. But I can't tell you. 
I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian. For, this is my 51st year in show business. So being a stand-up comedian is what, you know, what I do. That's what I am. I'm not a singer, you know. And so I've, I've opened for Frank Sinatra in front of 20,000 people in big arenas around the country and also opened for him in front of 40,000 people in Hawaii one time, you know, 40,000 people outdoors. But for me to go up in that booth that very first time and now – I'm, this is, you know, I, I used to look up there and watch Harry do it and all that stuff. Now I'm in that booth and there, I'm about to go out and sing in front of 40,000 people. And I'm not a singer. I mean, I can carry a tune. I, I was a former altar boy and everything, but it's really intimidating. It's really, really intimidating, but you know, you rise to the occasion and, 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 uh, and, 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 and you, and you do it, you know, cause that, that's what show business is about all your career. You've learned to get past the nerves to do your performance. I once was on a show called the Phil Donahue show years ago. And a woman said, do you, she got up and one of the questions from the audience, do you ever get scared before you go to out to do your show? Or do you ever get scared while you're out there performing? I said, yeah, but we learn to work scared. You know, <laughs> the pilot who lands at 747 every day, you don't think he comes down whistling Dixie, you know, <laughs> at the tense moment landing that big baby with 350 people on his aircraft or something like that. So we learn to work under those conditions. But it's, it's really awesome and intimidating when you're out, up, on, up there and all those Cub fans are down below you and singing, take me out to the ballgame. We're talking with Tom Dreesen. He's our guest here on the seventh inning stretch. The name of the book is still standing my journey from streets and saloons to the stage and Sinatra. You can buy it on amazon.com. You can get it on his website, tomdreesen.com as well. So certainly be sure to check it out. It is a wonderful read has hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. Um, Tom, and, and, you know, to your point, I mean, not only did you open for Sinatra, you closed for president Clinton. So I can only imagine you say how daunting it could be to sing the seventh inning stretch. I'm curious though, you know, you had such a close relationship with Frank Sinatra, you're friends with David Letterman, but I'd love to know if you had any sort of relationship with Harry Carey and what that relationship was like and what it was like to be around him, um, when he was doing Cubs games. Do you have any good stories about Harry that you could share? No, oh, you know, I, I loved Harry Carey. So that your listeners understand when you said I closed for President Clinton, it's kind of a joke because I once had to follow at a private party in Chicago uh, in Highland Park. My friend Lou Weisbach had President Clinton at his house with 85 people there, all these state senators and U.S. senators, and I had, they all spoke, and then I, and President Clinton spoke, and then I had to follow President Clinton. And that was also intimidating. I'm thinking... I was a raggedy poor kid on the south side of Chicago, you know, and here now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm following the president of the United States. That was really intimidating, but it was, it was fun. And, and, and I think that's in the book as well. You'll, you'll get a kick out of it. But Harry was from another planet, as you know, do you, do you know why, when you think about the people that are legends in Chicago, you know, you say Harry Carey and everybody, yeah, yeah. Mike Ditka, you go, yeah, yeah, I like Mike. You know, you say uh, Jim McMahon. You, do you know why people in Chicago love those guys? Because what you see is what you get. There wasn't a Harry Carey off the show that was different than Harry Carey on the show. Or there wasn't a Mike Ditka, two Mike Ditkas or two Jim McMahons. What you see is what you got. And Chicagoans really appreciate that. And Harry was just that guy. And, and I, I, I can't tell you how many times I stayed up with him till the wee hours of the morning in some bar you know, like the Hachi Tachi in Chicago or one of those <laughs> bars uh, 
uh, he, he was he was a character into himself. He, you know, one one time, every time I'd be in Chicago with Frank Sinatra, and if I was watching the game with Frank or something, he'd say, one of these days I got to go over and teach Harry how to sing that song, you know, take me out to the ball game, and jokingly say that. But one night I got them all them together, and Harry was gonna, who was a night owl, and Frank never went to bed till the sun came up, you know, and. I was going to see who could out drink who. And finally, around 4.30 in the morning, Harry said, good night, Frank, you got me. You know, <laughs> he went up to his room. We were in, in the pump room, you know, uh, and at the Ambassador East. And there was a back booth there that Frank, whenever we would do shows in Chicago, uh, then we'd go get a bite to eat at Gibson Steakhouse or something. But we'd always end up at the pump room. And they would let it, they'd lock up at 2 o'clock, but they'd let Frank stay in the back till dawn because he never went to bed till the sun came up. And uh, he, he sent Harry to bed one night, you know, uh, Harry was, was just, uh, I, I, when Harry Carey had the stroke, that's when I got to announce one of the games, they had celebrity announcers. And so I got to do radio uh, for several innings and I got to do television. Uh, but the interesting thing, when Harry came back from the stroke, you know, I'd be out with him and his wife, Dutchie, and Harry would, he would have, what, what happened, Dutchie would say, now, Harry, the doctor said, you can't drink. He said, that's not true, Dutchie. He said, I could have one drink. And she, and he would have one glass of wine. Then he had one Randy Alexander. He'd have one Scotch and soda. <laughs> he'd have one bottle of Budweiser. He'd have one screwdriver. I'm not lying. <laughs> he had one of each, you know. And our thanks to Tom Dreesen. Uh, so cool to catch up with him. He obviously, longtime Cubs fan, uh, certainly knows his stuff. And, uh, man, some great stories. I mean, that story about Harry Carey and Frank Sinatra uh, and Harry tapping out in the wee hours, I guess that answers the question, Josh. We finally know who can drink more uh, between those two guys. Uh, Pretty unbelievable. And uh, we talked about Tom Dreesen's book, and you can find him also on Twitter at Tom Dreesen Comic. Um, you can also find me on social media. I am at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad is at the Chad Gordon. So please follow us there. And also, please follow us on our Facebook page, the Friendly Confines Facebook page. And Josh, I know you are very uh, active on Twitter. Where can people well, find my, you? On my nickname page? is Frito from my last name, Friedman. It's Frito Josh, F-R-I-E-D-O, then Josh, all one word. Yeah, so be sure to check out Josh there, and uh, he can uh, obviously give you some great takes on his feed too. As we begin the eighth inning, well, what did, you know, we were talking. Uh, you know, we we see down here Derek Jeter. He bought the Marlins. You know, he's not the you know, not the money behind it, but nonetheless, he's the managing partner right now and really runs the show down here as far as uh, the Miami Marlins. As far as celebrities or other athletes owning the Cubs. I know who I have in mind. Do you have anybody in mind who you would like to see take the reins if, if the Ricketts family decided to sell the team? I, I think there's an obvious answer for me, Josh. And for me, it's got to be Bill Murray, right? <laughs> I mean, Bill Murray, who loves baseball, he loves the Cubs. I mean, wouldn't it just be so cool if Bill Murray owned the Cubs? Now, he does have an ownership stake in several minor league baseball teams, most notably, I believe Paul it's Saints, the St. Yeah. Paul Saints and the um, Charleston River Dogs in Charleston, South Carolina. 
where I believe he's uh, also dubbed the director of fun for that team because he does live in Charleston, South Carolina. But, man, if Bill Murray bought a stake in the Cubs or was the owner of the Cubs, I mean, it would just be so cool to see Bill Murray just hanging out at Wrigley on a regular basis and, you know, trying to engage. I mean, he he would be by far and away the coolest owner in sports. There, there would be no question about it. He would surpass Mark Cuban. Um, so for me, it would be absolutely hands down Bill Murray. It's so you? funny. And so your last sentence, I thought I was going to surprise you. Mine is Mark Cuban. <laughs> you know, a few years ago, <laughs> we were, I, was, I was in Dallas. And I was covering the, the, the finals, the NBA finals with the Miami Heat. Uh, you know, against the Dallas Mavericks. And it was media day, and Mark Cuban, owner of the Mavericks, was there. And somebody asked him, would he love to own a baseball team? Now, he's from Pittsburgh, but he's, uh, you know, he, he said, I'd, I'd like to only own two teams, the the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, this is, this is before Ricketts, uh, you know, purchased the team. And it, it would never happen, at least not anytime soon, because uh, when he bought into the NBA, the one guy that turned him down that voted against him was Jerry Reinsdorf. And Reinsdorf is so influential with other owners in baseball. I'm sure he would, uh, you know, it wouldn't happen. But I would love to see Mark Cuban. I think he'd throw a ton of money at the team. I think you'd see him like you see, you know, Tom Ricketts sitting, uh, you know, in the first row right there. I think he's a he's a splendid owner who lets guys do what, he, you know, they want as far as his employees, his front office. I'd love to see Cuban. But Murray, I, you know, it's funny because that never crossed my mind when I thought about that question. And he'd be hilarious. I don't know if he's got the money to write big checks, but he'd sure be entertaining. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he's he's a wealthy guy, but I don't think he's uh, billions wealthy, uh, to say the least. But, you know, and obviously this question comes up because, you know, LeBron James bought into the Red Sox and uh, LeBron not only wants to own a baseball team, he also owns a soccer team and he also wants to one day own an NBA team. So I, I have no doubt he will be able to do that uh, one day when he decides to uh, retire. So um, Josh, let us wrap things up now as we move to the ninth inning. And uh, I posted this question on our Facebook page. You know, the Academy Awards are a little over mm-hmm. a month away. Um, so I just thought it would kind of be a fun thing to ask to throw out there. Now, there's been, you know, millions of movies uh, in the history of cinema or hundreds of thousands of movies, I should say. And uh, there's been a few that have, um, you know, featured the Chicago Cubs. But what movie, Josh, would you say was the best that featured the Chicago Cubs? Now, here, here are the answers I supplied, or, or rather the suggestions I supplied. And, and you can go off the board if you don't like any of these. But I suggested um, Taking Care of Business mm-hmm. with Jim Belushi and Charles Grodin. Uh, for those who may not remember that movie, there is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There's Brewster's Millions. And I also had, of course, the obvious one, Rookie of the Year. So, Josh, I will ask you first, which movie featuring the Chicago Cubs would you say is the best? Well, I mean, I saw this years ago for the first time and have seen it many, many times since. I got to go with Ferris Bueller. I just, you know, seeing, uh, you know, them in the stands and, you know, saying, hey, batter, batter, swing, batter. You know, I just, I love that. They, you know, they they had the, the shooting in the stands at Wrigley Field. I just think it's a great movie. I love that, you know, they went to the Cubs game. They included that. And then you have Mr. Rooney who's watching it on TV saying, who's ahead? And the, the guy derisively says, the Bears. You know, it was just a great line. I love the fact, by the way, Ferris Bueller, as an aside, was filmed a lot of it in my hometown of Highland Park. Uh, so I'm a big fan of that movie. I, I, I If I had to say a movie that um, – you know, as part of Cubs lore, I would say that. As far as a movie that only had Wrigley Field, 
a league of their own is one that was filmed in Wrigley Field. Yeah, it was interesting. I got answers. A League of Their Own was one of the uh, comments I got. Uh, the oh. Blues Brothers was another one. Well, they, they showed the outside of it, 1060 West Addison. That's right. When they give the address <laughs> and they, they say 1060 West Addison, they all show up to Wrigley uh, and they get in the getaway car and, and drive off. Um, I'm going to kind of uh, throw a curve here. I, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but I'm going to go with Taking Care of Business um, because – I don't know how familiar you are with the movie, but the premise of the movie, Frito, is basically Jim Belushi is a con man who escapes from prison so he can go watch the Cubs in the <laughs> World Series. Now, this movie was made in 1990, I want to say, 92 maybe. And and um, Mark Grace has a cameo in the movie um, where the Cubs are in the World Series against the then California Angels. And the two players they use from the movie, Mark Grace and Bly Levin for the Angels. And Gracie hits a home run in the movie off of Bly Levin and Jim Belushi sitting in, you know, Anaheim, old Anaheim Stadium. And he makes the catch um, watching the Cubs. So for me, I'm going with that because that movie, Josh, was ahead of its time because Belushi was already thinking about a Cubs World Series long before it was even a possibility of happening. And I love the fact that Mark Grace was legit in the movie and uh, hits a home run in the film. I thought that was great. So I'm going to go with um, taking care of business because the whole point, what would you do, I guess, Frito, would be what would you do to go see the Cubs in the World Series? This, this man went and escaped prison. Uh, just so he could yeah, see well, the Cubs in the world. I would do so a lot. You know, I've, ne- I've heard of the movie. I've never seen it. Now you want me to go and see if I can download it on Netflix or Prime or or anything like that. Maybe love a movie uh, that old. I'd love to see it. And by the way, I did see a Cubs World Series game in Wrigley Field, front row seats behind the Cubs dugout. You did. You did. Well, we'll have to come. <laughs> we'll have to have you come on again at some point to discuss um, that experience. Because yes, you got to go to Wrigley. I was in or Cleveland. You. Um, and, and went to game six. Yes, I did. But uh, I uh, did not have the fortune of going to Wrigley, but at least I got to see them play. So that to me was uh, still pretty awesome. But uh, with that, I want to thank Josh Friedman for joining us on this episode of the Friendly Confines. Josh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for pinch hitting with us this week. Really appreciate it. And of course, our thanks to Tom Dreesen in part one of our interview with him. You can hear part two next week. For Josh, I am Ryan. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Have a good one, and we'll see you at the ballpark. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field the first time you walk into rigor